It's never been easier to communicate with people, but it's never been harder to know which platform you're supposed to communicate on. Here's a simpler solution. With call, meet, and message all in one app, Ring Central makes communication easy. With all that connectivity in the palm of your hand, you can work from anywhere with anyone at any time and never miss a beat. Because when it comes to communication, simple is better. Learn more at ringcentral.com. Ring Central, simpler communications. This holiday season, Lexus wants you to remember. It's not just the thought that counts, it's your thought. Because no matter how much time you spend picking out the perfect gift, the only thing they'll really care about is that it's from you. Here's to experiences they'll continue to cherish. Season after season, make this December one to remember together. Click the banner to discover more. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. This is the MD's Fantasy Football Show with Dan Mader. Giving you the X's and O's of all things fantasy. On the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back, MD Nation, to the show. You are listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, WWSRN. Also presented to you by Belly Up Sports. And we're going to be here talking to you today about the Sunday night recap show. Cannot wait. Well, not Sunday. The Sunday afternoon recap show, I really should say. We got a lot to unpack. We got through the week. That is the most important part. We actually made it. It was starting to get very, very interesting if we were even going to wind up having a week four because after dealing with the Tennessee Titans and the Pittsburgh Steelers, then it came out, the Kansas City Chiefs and New England Patriots, Cam had COVID, and the practice squad quarterback of the Chiefs had COVID. And then all of a sudden, late that night, in the wean hours of Sunday morning, we get a notification saying that Burton, the fullback for the New Orleans Saints, he had a positive test. And they had to retest everybody, including Alvin Kamara. And the world was falling. And coaches were saying to just reset and make a 12-game schedule. And everything was going crazy. And then everybody came back down to their senses. It turned out Michael Burton had a false positive, which worked out for everybody. That means nobody on the Saints actually had COVID. The Chiefs, the Patriots, nobody else besides their two players had COVID, so now they get to play in the Monday night game. So that's going to be part of tomorrow's episode. Instead of only talking about the Sunday night and the one Monday night game, we're going to have two Monday night games to talk about along with the waiver wire report. That will be tomorrow's show. So tonight, we don't talk about that, but we do talk about all of the Sunday afternoon games that we did get to have, and there were a lot, a lot of touchdowns in these matchups, and we got to get to them all. Now, first and foremost, you are listening to this on the pre-recorded podcast episode. We're not live on the air on this show. We never are on the recap, uh, on the Monday recap show and on the Tuesday waiver wire report episode. But we are live on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network every Thursday and Friday from 12 to 1.30, except for this week. <laughs> this Friday, I will be taking some time off this weekend. So this Friday, I will not be there. And I will also not be around for Saturday's show, the DC's DFS challenge show that's on from 9.30 to 10.30 on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, normally speaking. I won't be on that one for two weeks. That show will still go on. That will only be on Belly Up Fantasy on Twitter and on Facebook, though. It will not be on WWSRN. 
And what we're going to be doing this week is that Thursday, it, I will be on Thursday from 12 to 1.30 on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. On my normal time slot, you'll be able to, if you follow them at WWSRN Radio, you'll be able to watch. You can also listen live to the stream or find Belly Up Sports' MD's Fantasy Football Show on your favorite streaming app. But basically what we're going to be doing on Thursday is we are going to jam-pack the entire Week 5 preview in that one show. So we're going to be flying through. So the in-depth analysis, it may not be as in-depth, but I'm going to make sure that we're sending you in the right direction and why I feel the way I do about those players, why we project them the way we do, why we like or don't like certain guys going into Week 5. We're just going to do it all in one episode. There won't be a mailbag, won't be a mailbag segment in that show like there normally would be. However, it does not mean I'm not going to be accessible throughout the weekend on social media, which I will be, at BellyUpMDFFShow on Twitter and on Facebook. You can contact me there at any time, and I will help you out with your fantasy dilemma. So just because I won't be around to do the show does not mean you will not have access to me to be able to help you out with your lineups heading into Week 5. So we're just going to have a jam-packed show on Thursday. Just an FYI for all of you guys out there in MD Nation who follow along with the show. So now you're all caught up as to what's going to be happening this week with our schedule. Let's go ahead and dive into these games. Let's dive into Seattle Seahawks. Let's dive into Miami Dolphins. This was a big game. A lot of people were expecting a lot of big fantasy points out of. Ryan Fitzpatrick was a top streaming quarterback heading into this matchup. And for the most part, he really didn't disappoint. He did have two interceptions. He didn't have a passing touchdown. But he did manage to get over 300 yards passing. He did manage to rush for a touchdown and tack on 47 yards on the ground, which is the big reason why he wind up having still a good top 12 streaming type of fantasy day. So you still got what you needed if you were streaming Ryan Fitzpatrick against the Seattle Seahawks in this matchup. That's the most important factor. Devontae Parker, he actually got banged up a little bit in this game. It was a little questionable if he was even going to be able to make a return. But he did. And not only did he make a return, but he had a great game. 10 catches for 110 yards on 12 targets in this matchup. The only thing he didn't do is score. So he was able to come back, play through the entire game. So even if he winds up all questionable on the injury report this week, which I'm anticipating he will because there's probably a decent chance that he's the type of player who won't practice on Wednesday after coming off of a game, which he did get a little bit banged up. He still looks really good. You can still expect him to be out there next week. And you can expect Devontae Parker to be getting his targets because the one thing about this game that I noticed that even when he went out, Preston Williams only had one catch for 15 yards in Devontae Parker's absence. He wasn't worked in otherwise. Neither was Mike Kosicki for that matter. Both of them had the same exact stat line, Mike Kosicki and Preston Williams that is. One catch for 15 yards on three targets, exactly the same. Devontae Parker is the go-to guy as long as Ryan Fitzpatrick is the starting quarterback. And that may not change even if two is to take over at some point this season, which I still expect to happen. That still may not change. But we know as long as Ryan Fitzpatrick is the starting quarterback, Devontae Parker's going to get his share. The only other wide receiver who was really a factor as far as volume goes was Isaiah Ford. He had 10 targets in this game, but had very minimal results. Four catches of 48 yards. So moving forward, Mike Isicki is somebody who stays within the streaming range of tight ends. But not somebody you have to stream. There's a lot of good options out there. I wouldn't put him ahead of a TJ Hawkinson. I wouldn't put ahead of some of these other guys out there. So he's in that range that you're going to have to be matchup dependent on 
But even then, he's still going to have a little bit of floor because the offense is going to flow through Devontae Parker. Period. Period. The only other person we got to mention here, because a lot of people had a lot of hype with him going into the week, and we had him ranked as an RB3, is Miles Gaskin. Only 10 carries in this game for 40 yards. Tacked on three catches for 22 yards on four targets. The big factor to remain be reminded here is that he still, by far, led the way in snaps and led the way in touches as far as the running back is concerned. Plain and simple. He led the way in that. Matt Breida only had three carries for nine yards. Jordan Howard had two carries for two yards, maintaining that one yard per carry average. Breida got a little bit involved in the passing game, but that's about it. So this is still Miles Gaskin's backfield. The thing you have to think about Miles Gaskin, the reason why he's an RB3 in the first place, is because he's still not the goal line guy. And the Dolphins are going to be more game scripts relative to what we saw against them and with the Seattle Seahawks than they are going to be in a close or leading position throughout these games. So there's going to be some... You're going to have to play Miles Gaskin on a matchup dependency, not necessarily whether or not the opposing run defense is good or not, but whether or not you think the Dolphins are actually good enough to stay within striking distance throughout the game. Because if the game gets out of hand like this one did early for the Dolphins, his... Involvement is going to be very, very limited, and you don't want that from a guy that you're already plugging in as a high-floor flex play, not a high-upside guy. So something just to keep in mind, but obviously he's still a guy that you want to have rostered. So we move on to the Seattle Seahawks' side of the ball. Russell Wilson was still Russell Wilson. He didn't put up five touchdowns this week, but you got to give the guy some slack at some point. 360 yards, two touchdowns, an interception was still very good. The big thing was Chris Carson. Not only did he play... He played really well. And he actually played really well. He got knocked out for a little bit in this game, too. He got roughed up for a little bit. But he was able to come back in. He was able to finish the game strong. 16 carries, 80 yards, two touchdowns for Chris Carson in this matchup. We ranked him at number 10. We said if he plays against Miami Dolphins, it's too good of a matchup. As long as he plays, you have to start him. He performed and gave you RB1 return. DK Metcalf, four catches, 106 yards, doing DK Metcalf-type things. The only person who was a disappointment here was Tyler Lockett. Coming off the three-touchdown performance, going up against Miami, you're hoping for more than just two catches for 39 yards on four targets. However, obviously, you're not going to worry about Tyler Lockett. Obviously, better days are ahead. Obviously, you sit tight and you keep playing Lockett as a borderline wide receiver one in your lineups with the way this offense is humming right now. I mean, take it. Just taking into consideration the big reason why Tyler Lockett didn't wind up going off in this game is because we had a surprise appearance from David Moore, who had three catches for 95 yards and a touchdown. That's not going to be a thing consistently. And Lockett actually had a couple bad drops in this game, which is something he doesn't normally do. So, obviously, better days are ahead. We're not going to worry about anything there on the Seattle Seahawks side of the football. So we move on to the Baltimore Ravens. We move on to Washington Football Club. We move on to the Maryland Showdown, essentially. Lamar Jackson, as far as fantasy purposes go, gets back on track. He has two passing touchdowns, ran a 50-yard touchdown, had 53 yards rushing on the day total. So from a fantasy standpoint, he gets you into the mid-20s, which is what you're always looking for out of Lamar Jackson. From an NFL standpoint, I was a little bothered, let's say, by the Ravens in this one. I was. I was a little bothered by it. 
I was a little bothered that I did not think that they came out and really ran their offense and unleashed it. I don't think they really took the opportunity of this matchup, which should have been an opportunity for them to get right, for them to explode, for them to build confidence after that shellacking, after that punch in the face that they took on Monday Night Football from the Kansas City Chiefs. I don't feel like they did that in this game. They did what we saw them do in the first two weeks of the season. They just show that they are a very talented team. They show that they are better than these less than 500 opponents. But they didn't actually unleash what, they, what their capabilities are. So I was a little disappointed by that factor. But I guess with the way you can look at it is that Lamar Jackson got back to being a QB1 in this matchup and yet really didn't have that great of a game. 14 of 21, only 193 passing yards. So I guess that's what you take out of it moving forward. The backfield is just a mess. And, you know, a lot of us fantasy extras, we keep sitting there saying, like, okay, you definitely want to play a Baltimore Raven running back, even though the running back you have to play is Mark Ingram, and even though he's really nothing more than an RB3 who's touchdown dependent. And he does score in this one. But only 34 yards and a touchdown, only nine points. He wasn't involved in the passing game. He had one catch for three yards. Do you really need, if he didn't score a touchdown, do you really need to play a Baltimore Ravens running back? I think I'm going to be the first person to go on record and say, you don't. You don't drop him. You don't drop Ingram. I think J.K. Dobbins in redraft leagues is getting to that point. I still wouldn't say, I'm still not going to hit the flush town button, the flush doctor we have, the signify that it's time to move on from a player on J.K. Dobbins yet because the reason you drafted J.K. Dobbins in the first place was in hopes that he takes over the backfield in the second half of the season. I still think that is on the table at some point because when the Ravens play better teams, if they can't get this running game going, and it's really mediocre, it's really mediocre. If they're not able to establish their identity, then I do think J.K. Dobbins and his big playmaking ability will be better for them when they start facing playoff teams, when they start getting into the playoff stretch. So I still think there is a pathway for J.K. Dobbins to take over. But if you have to make a roster move, I don't think he's a must-own at this point. You're not going to play him unless something happens to Ingram or he outright takes over at some point, and that doesn't seem to be anytime soon. Ingram had eight carries. Gus Edwards winds up being the lead carry guy, but again, he took over more in the second half when the Ravens had everything sewn up. So Gus Edwards is still the third guy as far as snaps concerned. Like I said, I think you have to own Mark Ingram. I think you can own J.K. Dobbins, but there's no running back in the Ravens' backfield who's a must-play, plain and simple. There's just not. You can't depend on Mark Ingram, who's not even getting 10 carries a game right now, to get you a touchdown just to give you a not horrendous fantasy day. So keep keep him on your benches, but don't start him until further notice, until something clarifies. As far as the receivers go, Marquise Brown, four catches, 86 yards, eight uh, eight targets, excuse me. He is a wide receiver three with upside. He has not, because of the lack of volume his way, because Lamar Jackson is still working through some struggles with throwing the ball down the field, 
He's just limited to being a wide receiver three. He doesn't have a floor, necessarily. So that's how you kind of have to look at him moving forward. Mark Andrews, he comes back to life in this one. Three catches, 57 yards on two touchdowns in this matchup. Actually caught the two touchdowns that he should have caught against Kansas City. Is able to make that, but he didn't have a lot of volume in this game either. Three targets in this game. Caught all three of them. Two of them were for touchdowns, so he still has the big fantasy day for you. But I was a little bothered by the lack of volume there for Mark Andrews after that Kansas City game, going against Washington in a plus matchup. Now, at the end of the day, you're not going to be upset when the guy has two touchdowns. So, he's still going to be an elite tight end one moving forward. You know he is Lamar Jackson's not just favorite target, but favorite target in the red zone especially. So you can continue to play Marquise Brown. You could, Obviously, you can start Mark Andrews. Obviously, start Lamar Jackson. But I don't know if there's another Ravens player that you have to start here, including the backfield. On the Washington side of the ball, Dwayne Haskins actually played a better game than I expected. Now, Washington was never in this game. But he didn't turn the ball over. Some of it could have been because Ron Rivera talked to him before the game, apparently, and said, you need to start cleaning it up. Otherwise, he may as well bench you. 32 of 45, 314 yards against a superior opponent. I don't think that's going to get Dwayne Haskins benched. I'll tell you what the silver lining was. That was Terry McLaurin. He didn't practice Friday. He got downgraded on the practice injury report on Thursday with a thigh issue. Comes in against the Ravens, who you're worried about is going to be a buzzsaw, and you know they're better on defense than what they showed against Kansas City. Still comes in, has 10 catches for 118 yards on 14 targets. He just continues to be a... Super consistent wide receiver, too, because of the volume that he gets. And this was the toughest matchup as they come. So because of the volume headed his way in this offense, because he's the clear-cut best offensive player that they could possibly have, Terry McLaurin is a matchup-proof wide receiver, too, who has upside because he has the big play capabilities, even though he hasn't really had too many big plays yet this year, especially not for touchdowns. But they'll come. Antonio Gibson, also worth mentioning in this game. 13 of 46 and a touchdown on the ground. Not super efficient as far as rushing numbers go, but he had four catches for 82 yards on five targets. Now, the one thing I will mention, though, before you get super excited that, oh, it's Antonio Gibson, uh, bell cow. Mm, Hold on. J.D. McKissick had seven catches in this game on eight targets. He was actually the second leading receiver. So... Gibson's still splitting time to some degree when it comes to the passing work with J.D. McKissick. But this is the second week in a row. As far as the carries are concerned, is Antonio Gibson and really nobody else. Peyton Barber's not really a factor. J.D. McKissick's not a factor on the ground. And the only person that Gibson got vultured from today was Dwayne Haskins because Dwayne Haskins fell into the end zone. So you can play Gibson. You can play Terry McLaurin moving forward. That's it. You can't play Logan Thomas. This was this shit. I mean, I wasn't on the Logan Thomas ship heading into this week to begin with. To me, he was a low end streamer, and you should have better options. But he was still somebody that a lot of people were talking up around the industry. Four targets, one catch, eight yards. He had a touchdown week one, guys. That's it. That's all. He hasn't done anything else since. It's this is not like Logan Thomas. Always, oh, he's, he's a red zone target. Uh, The targets besides Terry McLaurin have to go somewhere. No, they don't. 
Dontrell Inman is just as much of a threat to score as Logan Thomas is. They play basically the same role, just Inman does it from the wide receiver position. Logan Thomas has been a journeyman for a reason. There are better options to stream than Logan Thomas and connecting yourself to this Washington team. Treat Washington like you do the Jets. They have one wide receiver and one running back when healthy, speaking to Le'Veon Bell and the Jets, that you can play. Everybody else is fantasy irrelevant. Washington's case, it's Gibson and Terry McLaurin. In the Jets' case, it's Jameson Crowder and Le'Veon Bell. That's it. Don't touch anybody else. There's no need to. We move on to the Cleveland Browns. We move on to the Dallas Cowboys. The shootout of the week so far. We still got to wait to see exactly what happens in that Green Bay-Atlanta game later on tonight. I am recording this Sunday night, but I'm guessing you guys mostly, for the most part, are going to probably be listening to this sometime Monday. So sometime tonight for you guys out there listening to MD Nation. 49-38. to So we have some things we have to go over in this game. Nick Chubb, he gets hurt. It's a knee issue. He got rolled up on. And it's really a shame because he was on his way to a big game. He had six carries for 43 yards, and that was all in the first quarter. He was on his way to a huge day before that injury. Now, here's the good news. As of recording this right now, the Cleveland Browns came out and said that they are cautiously optimistic that he avoided a serious knee issue, which... In layman's terms, basically means they're pretty sure he avoided an ACL tear, which was my biggest concern because he did have an ACL injury when he was in college. So anytime you see a guy who has, and I, I don't know for sure if it was the same knee or not. I think it was. But anytime you see that from a guy and he gets his knee hurt, you worry that he might have blown his ACL again. So it sounds like to me that there is reason to believe that Nick Chubb did not blow his ACL. Now, whether it's in an MCL sprain or a mild sprain, or, or what the case may be, we're not going to know that until the MRI results come out. So make sure you're following us on Twitter, at BellyUpMDFFShow. We'll keep those player news update notifications for you flowing. Have that on. They're free. And we keep you up to date all the time. So we'll have that out for you once the MRI results return. They may actually be out by the time you're listening to this. So that's the silver lining there for Nick Chubb. In the meantime, as you would expect, Kareem Hunt. 11 carries, 71 yards, two touchdowns. Oh, but wait a minute. DeErnest Johnson, 13 carries, 95 yards. He actually outcarried Kareem Hunt after Nick Chubb went out in this game and was very good. 95 yards. Over seven yards a carry. The only thing he didn't do is score. So DeErnest Johnson, somebody who needs to be on your way. Now, depending on the Nick Chubb issue, will dictate whether Johnson will wind up on the waiver wire report or not. Because if Chubb's going to be back sometime soon, Kareem Hunt's in there. I don't know what Johnson would be other than a temporary handcuff to Kareem Hunt until Nick Chubb came back. I don't think you could just be like, oh yeah, I'm going to play Johnson in the flex now and act like Kareem Hunt and Johnson are going to do the same things Nick Chubb and, and Kareem Hunt did. No, 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 no. We're not going to do that. But it's somebody to keep on your radar, somebody to keep in mind if Nick Chubb winds up missing multiple weeks. And if they're willing to use them, and Stefanski's hell-bent on keep using a two-back system, then we're going to see what happens. Now, keep in mind in this game, part of the reason Johnson could have gotten carries, I don't know this for sure, but this is just me trying to make sure we have all the variables. Part of the reason Johnson could have gotten as many carries as he did is that, remember, Kareem Hunt was not 100% coming into this game to begin with. 
He didn't practice Wednesday or Thursday. He got in a limited session on Friday. He was dealing with a groin issue. Obviously, it wasn't serious because he looked good throughout this game, but he was not 100% coming into this matchup. So that may have played a role in why Johnson wound up with 13 carries for 95 yards in this game. So just kind of keep that in mind. But a name to kind of have in the back of your mind, the back of your radar, in case a certain situation presents itself. Kareem Hunt actually wasn't involved through the air. That was the surprising part. You know who was, though? OBJ. I talked about this on Thursday during the Week 4 preview matchups. I said there's a decent chance OBJ has a decent game in this one because the easiest way to move the football on the Dallas Cowboys is throwing the ball down the field. And I definitely didn't expect him to go off for three touchdowns. If I did, I would have ranked him as my number one receiver on the week, which I did not do. Nobody did. It's never been easier to communicate with people, but it's never been harder to know which platform you're supposed to communicate on. Here's a simpler solution. With call, meet, and message all in one app, Ring Central makes communication easy. With all that connectivity in the palm of your hand, you can work from anywhere with anyone at any time and never miss a beat. Because when it comes to communication, simple is better. Learn more at ringcentral.com. Ring Central, simpler communications. Shopify presents cool sheets from aha to lying awake while you bake isn't cool. I suffered from the wrong kind of hot in bed, heat induced insomnia. That was my aha moment. Bed sheets that keep you cool. Then I thought, how do I even sell bed sheets? That's when I had the idea that made it all possible, signing up on Shopify. With the help of Shopify's intuitive online store creator, I started selling sustainable bamboo sheets that keep cool year-round. And my cool idea became a reality. Hot sleepers around the world rejoice. Shopify makes it simple to keep your cool while starting and growing your business. Start selling with Shopify today and join the commerce platform powering millions of businesses worldwide. From aha to anything is possible. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Start selling online today. Sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash free22. Shopify.com slash free22. However, I did think that he had an opportunity to get a big play. Now he had a few. My advice was that if he wound up having a big game against Dallas or having a good game against Dallas, turn around and sell him the following week. That has not changed. Just because he went off for three touchdowns instead of what I thought was just going to be maybe one big to one, that still has not changed. If anything, it just boosts his value for when you go to sell him this week. Remember, this offense is built around the running game. And if Nick Chubb's not going to be out for a significant amount of time, which is what the thought process is at the moment of recording this, well then, it's still going to be based around Chubb and Kareem Hunt and then the passing game. So there's going to be more games like what we saw through the first three weeks than this past week against the Dallas Cowboys. I'm not viewing this as suddenly a turning point in OBJ's career in Cleveland where suddenly the light goes on and he turns into vintage OBJ on the New York Giants where these type of games are possible any given week. No, 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 no. That's not how we're looking at this. I'm looking at this as the opportunity to sell OBJ for a top-end wide receiver or a top-end running back, depending on what your team needs. That's what I'm looking at this as. Selling at peak value. Jarvis Landry, five catches, 48 yards, six targets. He continues to be somebody... 
because of his role on the offense, because of who he is and his history, that makes it very difficult to drop. But as no, somebody that is no more than a wide receiver four with not much upside. In this game where OBJ went off, in this game where Cleveland Browns were more efficient through the passing game than they really have been yet this season, Jarvis Landry was still an afterthought. You can't play him. And if you need to make a roster spot, I have to imagine you have other players that you can drop before Jarvis Landry, but if you don't, he's not somebody you have to own if you need to make a move moving forward. It's another reason why I say you got to sell OBJ while you can because he's just not trustworthy in this passing game. For all the fireworks, Baker Mayfield, just FYI, only 165 yards. He has the two passing touchdowns, but only 165 yards through the air for 49 points. So, again, someone who continues to not be a streaming guy. But you know who's elite, especially when it comes to fantasy football purposes? You know who's unreal when it comes to fantasy football purposes at the quarterback position right now? Dak Prescott. 500 yards passing in this game. Third straight week of over 450 yards passing this season. The Dallas Cowboys and the Atlanta Falcons have to be looked at as one in the same. Their defenses are so bad, and their offenses are so loaded, that no matter who they play, the opposing team is going to be able to put up points. And they are going to be forced to have to throw the ball. They're going to be forced to have to go off. Now, through the past two weeks, that's kind of hindered Ezekiel Elliott to some degree as far as not getting in the end zone. 12 carries, 54 yards, but has eight catches for 71 yards in this game. That's the great thing about Zeke. No matter what they're doing in this offense, he's evolved enough in the passing game now that he's always going to have an RB1 type of floor. Always. And if he scores, he's going to finish in the top three. Still has over 100 yards from scrimmage in this game. Even though it felt like he wasn't that involved. Still had 20 touches in this game, even though it felt like he wasn't that involved. Amari Cooper, 12 catches, 134 yards. Finally gets into the end zone. It was his first touchdown on the season. But Amari Cooper has been in the top 10 every single week so far. He has been consistently involved. He's had a high floor every single week so far, even though it's the first week he scored a touchdown. 12 catches, 134 yards on 16 targets. For all the weapons, for C.D. Lamb, Michael Gallup, Dalton Schultz now, we'll talk about him in a second, Ezekiel Elliott, he's the guy. He's the man. And as long as he stays healthy, he's going to be looking at wide receiver one type of workloads every single week. Just given the offense and given the defense right now, given the current state of the Dallas Cowboys. This is an explosive, exciting team to watch, and yet they're 1-3 because that's how bad the defense is, which is great for fantasy football purposes. CeeDee Lamb has a big day, two touchdowns, five catches, 79 yards on seven targets in this one. He flip-flopped with Michael Gallup. We said this was going to happen. More times than not, you're going to have to play Gallup and you're going to have to play Lamb And you're just going to have to know that one of them is going to have a floor type of game and the other one's going to go off. It's just going to, it's how it's going to work. They're going to take turns throughout the season, which one it is. Who has the better matchup? Once again, Michael Gallup was matched up on Denzel Ward more than the other two wide receivers. 
So once again, he's the one who kind of got phased out in this game to some degree. Only two catches for 29 yards. You have to play Michael Gallup and C.D. Lamb as high-end boomer bust wide receiver threes. I don't necessarily want to say boomer bust, but because in this offense with the amount of volume they have, I know Gallup only had 29 yards in this game, but more times than not, they're going to have decent floors. High upside guys, but they're wide receiver threes because they're going to be inconsistent. Borderline wide receiver twos. Dalton Schultz got back involved in this game, showing that there's there is an answer in between what we saw the first week of Dalton Schultz and what we saw last week at Dalton Schultz. Four catches, 72 yards, and a touchdown on eight targets. He is going to be a guy who's going to consistently be hovering around that top 12 tight end territory, the high-end streaming territory, and he's worth owning. And look, if you don't have an elite tight end, if you don't have a Travis Kelsey, a George Kittle, a Mark Andrews, a Janu Smith, whenever he does come back and play, we're going to talk. We're not going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about that more on Thursday when we have more information about the Tennessee Titans and what's going on with their current situation with COVID and whether or not they're going to be playing next week against the Buffalo Bills or not. But unless you have one of those top guys, you're going to be dealing with tight ends who are going to be boomer bust from a week to week basis. Dalton Schultz is somebody who is worthy of that top twelve territory. Period. So you move on. We go to the Chargers. We go to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. This was another big game. Tom Brady, welcome to 2020. No Chris Godwin. O.J. Howard blows his Achilles. It sounds like he's going to be out for the year. That's unfortunate. No Leonard Fournette. Walks in the door. Throws for 369 yards and five touchdowns in this game. Now, a lot of this volume was because the fact that the Chargers came in and pretty much punched the Buccaneers in the mouth. They went romper room on them in the beginning of, the, of, the, of this game. So they had to come back, and they did. Because remember, the Chargers defense is not the Chargers defense right now. Melvin Ingram's been banged up. Their passers isn't the same. Joey Bosa wasn't 100% coming into this matchup. Chris Harris is out for at least another month and a half. So other than Hayward on the outside... You can take advantage of the Chargers in the middle of the field right now. That's kind of what they did. Mike Evans, as you would expect, with no Chris Godwin, was the lead target on the day and had seven catches for 122 yards and a touchdown. Scotty Miller, who was doubtful heading into this matchup, was a surprise active for us. He had five catches for 83 yards and a touchdown on seven targets in this one. It's a little disappointing because Justin Watson had become somebody who was a last a Sunday morning pickup for us until we found out Scotty Miller was going to be active. So I was a little disappointed. He only winds up with four catches for 40 yards. But Scotty Miller is able to take advantage of Chris Godwin being out. Scotty Miller is somebody who's probably going to be on the waiver wire report because, again, Tampa Bay plays Thursday, and there's a pretty good chance that Chris Godwin's not going to play Thursday. They're going to probably keep him out for one more week. So Scotty Miller's going to be somebody... That you can fire up if you are have guys on bye, which we're going to have the first true bye weeks, not because of COVID, but be actually scheduled bye weeks with the Green Bay Packers and the Detroit Lions, or due to injury. He's going to be somebody you can fill in in your flex because he's able to prove this week that he can get the targets and get it done with no Chris Godwin around. So there's no Leonard Fournette. 
Ronald Jones, we knew was going to be the bell cow in this game because there was no Leonard Fournette. LaShawn McCoy even got banged up in this game. He had to leave early, too. So that really opened up the door for him. 20 carries, got over 111 yards, was efficient on the ground, finishes with six catches for only 17 yards. So he's involved in the passing game, and he had a couple of bad drops. I want He had at least two. He might have even had three. I'll know for sure when I go back and watch these games on Game Pass. Because of those drops and those lapses and those couple of lapses that he had in pass protection today, even though he had a 20-carry and 111-yard stat line on the ground, I don't believe that Ronald Jones just ran away with this job from Leonard Fournette. Now, we have to see exactly where Leonard Fournette's health is heading into this week because that's still going to be questionable. We're going to see what he has to do in the practice report on a short week, remember, going into Thursday. So there's a chance that Fournette may miss, just like Chris Godwin, this upcoming week as well. We're going to have to watch that. And if he does, Ronald Jones will again be the bell cow back. So he'll be a must play because of that, because of the volume. But I don't believe that he took over the job in this matchup because of certain lapses on the field throughout this ballgame. So there's something to kind of keep in mind. But you are going to play him if Leonard Fournette is not going to be good to go this upcoming week. If Leonard Fournette can play, I go back to I don't want to start either Ronald Jones or Leonard Fournette. They'll be on my team. I'll roster them. I'm not dropping these guys. But I'm not going to want to play them because the touches, the playing time is going to be too unpredictable. Plain and simple. On the Chargers side of the ball, Justin Herbert was very good. I'm starting to think Justin... Now, it's only been a three-game sample size, right? But I'm starting to think so far, Justin Herbert is more of a guy who is going to play up to his opponent or play down to his opponent. Remember, he comes in, he comes against the Kansas City Chiefs. He impressed everybody, including me, and I'm not a Justin Herbert fan. I'm not a believer in this guy as a quarterback for the future of this franchise. I'm not. There's certain things about him when under pressure. There's certain things about his accuracy, and I question how strong his arm truly is when he has to throw it outside the numbers on a consistent basis. But he impressed me in that Chiefs game. The second game against Carolina Panthers, a worse opponent, which should have been an easier time out there, he didn't look very good. He looked rattled. He looked like a rookie. Then he turns around this game against Tampa Bay, another very good team, a defense who had been firing on all cylinders coming into this game too, by the way. And he slung it around. 20-25, 290 yards, three touchdowns, a pick. Tacked on 14 yards on the ground. So I'm starting to think Justin Herbert just might play better against better opponents. We'll see moving forward. Tyrod Taylor is, from what we understand, is not coming back anytime soon. And even when he does, I don't know with the performances that Justin Herbert has had two out of three games, if you're Anthony Lynn, how you can justify going back to Tyrod Taylor. I guess if you wanted to push it, you can say, well, Herbert's 0-2 and Tyrod Taylor's 1-0 so far this season, or 1-1. But I don't know how, being that that one win was very unimpressive against the Cincinnati Bengals, I just don't know how you go back to it right now. With Herbert being able, looking like, at the very least, looking like a competent quarterback out there as a rookie. And he's supposed to be your future. You spent a first-round pick on him. Top 10 pick on him. So I'd be very surprised that even if Tyra Taylor does make his way back on the field, that he would actually get to start again this season, barring a Justin Herbert injury. But speaking of injuries, the Chargers here, Austin Eckler goes down with a nasty, what looked like a nasty hamstring issue. Apparently he was on crutches after the game. They're, li- they're labeling it as a hamstring and a hyperextended knee, and they're already reporting that he is expected to miss 
multiple weeks. How many? We don't know yet. The MRI results, again, on Monday will clarify that for us. Again, you may know that by the time you're listening to this podcast, we'll see. Make sure you follow us at BellyUpMDFFShow on Twitter. We'll keep you up to date. But he goes down. Now, Joshua Kelly was not very good in this game. And in the second half, the Chargers kind of had a ban in the running game altogether. And Tampa Bay is very good against the run on top of it. But nine carries or seven yards leaves you with much to be desired. But the point is that if Austin Eckler is going to miss an extended amount of time, Joshua Kelly is going to be entering RB2 territory. He is going to get the overwhelming majority of carries. This is what I'm curious to see. Justin Jackson returned from his injury in this game. Now, uh, he wasn't a big factor. Six carries for nine yards, only two catches for 12 yards. Joshua Kelly was actually more involved in the passing game than he was. But I'm going to be curious to see, moving forward, as a game plan now of not having Austin Eckler, I would be surprised if Joshua Kelly became the overall bell cow back. He still has some trouble with pass blocking. He had another bad fumble this week. So it's going to be hard for me to believe that Justin Jackson isn't somebody who's going to get involved. So Jackson could be a deep sleeper pickup in a half-point or full-point PPR league because of the two, I can see Jackson taking more of the Eckler role as far as the passing down work goes. But I do think this might guarantee Kelly getting an average of 18 carries a game moving forward. They're going to want to still take some pressure off of Justin Herbert. He's still a rookie quarterback. And they're still going to be down Mike Williams. We don't know for how long yet. So those are all things to kind of take in consideration. So Jackson is some... Joshua Kelly should already be owned. We've had him on the waiver wire report the past two weeks. He jumped up last week. I would be shocked if he was still less than 50% owned heading into this week's waiver wire report. I haven't looked at the numbers yet because that's for tomorrow's show. But he should already be owned. Justin Jackson, somebody who's going to be a deep sleeper. He's not going to be a must-add. He's not going to be a guy I'm blowing my fat budget on. He's not going to be a guy I'm spending my top waiver priority on. I can tell you that right now. But he's somebody I'm going to have my eye on, depending on what my situation is and depending on what scoring format that I am in. Because I think there's a very good chance he's going to be involved in this game plan moving forward. As far as the wide receivers go, you're playing Keenan Allen, you're playing Hunter Henry, that's it. I mean, it should have been tipped off the second you saw Tyron Johnson, who scored the first touchdown in this game, a 53-yarder from Justin Herbert, and that was his only target on the game. Followed up by Jalen Guyton, who only had who had a 72-yard touchdown in this game, one catch, one target. That was it. That was his only catch in the game. Keenan Allen once again got double-digit targets. Now, he only gets eight catches for 62 yards. It wasn't a big day for him. Because the touchdowns kept going to all of their no-name wide receivers. Donald Parham Jr. being the other receiver who got a touchdown. By the way, all three receivers who caught touchdowns in this game only had one target, one catch. That was it. That was all they did. Keenan Allen, Hunter Henry. I know Hunter Henry hasn't had the big week. I know in this game he only had two catches, 39 yards on three targets. Better days are ahead. He is the second pass catcher on a consistent basis until Mike Williams comes back which could still be another week from now. We don't know. So you're playing Keenan Allen, you're playing Hunter Henry, you're playing Joshua Kelly, and Justin Herbert may be entering streaming territory moving forward. So what we're going to do now is we're going to take a quick break, take a quick breath, come back on the other side. We still have a lot more games to get to through the Sunday afternoon recap, some more injuries to cover, and what fantasy values await certain players right after this.
You're listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And we are back. You are listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show on WWSRN. As always, I'm your host, Dan Mater. Loving it. Loving that we were able to get through a week four. Loving that we got to a week four after everything that was going on. Hopefully the Titans are the only breakout of the year, although I'm not going to hold my breath on that. But the good news is that they were able to reschedule. And the silver lining is that with all the COVID news that was going around the league over the past 48 hours, we only actually wound up missing one game because we are going to have the Chiefs and Patriots in the Monday night action. So that's still the silver. That's the big silver line, the big win of the weekend for me, regardless of what happened fantasy-wise. But to continue on that note, we have the Carolina Panthers. We have the Arizona Cardinals. Kyler Murray shows you why, fantasy-wise at the very least, he is always going to be a high-floor quarterback. He only passed for 133 yards in this game. But he still had three passing touchdowns, and he tacked on 78 yards on the ground. That is the big win for Kyler Murray. Big win. Because that's probably, at least statistically from a passing standpoint, especially when it comes to yards, going to be one of his worst games of the year. And he still gave you high-yielded fantasy results. So that's the good news about Kyler Murray and fantasy football purposes. You're not worried about him. DeAndre Hopkins, seven catches, 41 yards, nine targets. You knew he wasn't going to be 100% coming into this game. You were hoping as long as he was out there, he would get a high volume, which he did. You were hoping because of the Carolina Panthers, he'd still be able to have a better game, which he had a mediocre game. Obviously, better days are ahead for DeAndre Hopkins. Obviously, the main issue is going to make sure he's getting healthy. The great thing about Hopkins is that he can go you know, without practice or with very little practice and still be able to get out there on Sunday and still be the wide receiver one as far as the volume goes. So he's going to get healthier sooner rather than not. As far as I know... As of recording this Sunday night, he did not re-aggravate anything with the ankle injury. So there's reason to believe that he got through this game and that he'll be better next week. That's the most important. As long as he's out there, you have to play him. You have to. And if you're in half-point, full-point PPR, he still gave you an okay floor at the end of the day. The guy that we really need to talk about in the Arizona Cardinals is what to do with Kenyon Drake. 13 carries, 35 yards. Didn't receive a single target in this game. I talked about this. This is the big issue for Kenyon Drake right now. It's not the carries. There is no contest between him and Chase Edmonds as far as the carries are concerned. It's not the carries. It is 100% the fact that he still has not, to this point, been very involved in the passing game. And it's still, to this point, doesn't make any sense. If DeAndre Hopkins is the only wide receiver they can consistently go to which has been the case through four weeks now of the season, through the first quarter of the season. Why Kenyon Drake cannot get involved coming out of the backfield? In this game, something we hadn't seen the past few weeks either, Chase Edmonds was the guy involved. He was the second most targeted pass catcher in this game. He had six targets. Five catches, 24 yards. He happened to catch the two-yard touchdown. Now, for those of you out there who are worried that does this signify... Kenyon Drake not getting worked in on passing downs, is Chase Edmonds going to be taking over that role? My answer to that is, is no. We haven't seen that really be the case through the first few weeks of the season. This was the first game that we really saw Chase Edmonds just completely out-touch Kenyon Drake as far as the receptions are concerned. 
I don't think this is a committee. I am still on the side of, if you have Kenyon Drake, hold fast. The big games are coming. The volume is still there. This was a weird game for the Cardinals in general, especially from an NFL standpoint. Their offense was not very sharp. And it was just disappointing because it was the Carolina Panthers defense, a defense that had been able to be taken advantage of up until this point. And I'm still of the belief, if you don't have Kenyon Drake, well, there's never been a better time than now to try to buy low on him. He went to Detroit, was mediocre. He was Carolina, it wasn't good. So there's a good chance in your leagues the Kenyon Drake owner is panicking. You might be able to get him for pennies on the dollar, especially after this particular matchup. So try to buy low on Kenyon Drake if you can, because the bigger games are going to come. He's still explosive running back. He's still getting the volume. He's still healthy. Not much more you can ask for. And we're talking about another example of who did go off today in a little bit. And why I use that as an example for Kenyon Drake moving forward. But before we get to that, we got to talk about the Carolina Panthers. Teddy Bridgewater, solid day, 276 yards, two touchdowns. Actually runs one in, a very impressive run too, by the way. Tacked on 32 yards on the ground. Teddy Bridgewater is a streaming quarterback in certain matchups. Because this offense has to keep scoring because the defense is not very good. But also this offense fits what Teddy Bridgewater likes to do, which is being able to spread the ball around. Robbie Anderson, I'm going to say this every single week probably until people get it. Robbie Anderson is the fantasy wide receiver to own. It is not DJ Moore. Robbie Anderson is a wide receiver too who needs to be starting in your lineups every single week. DJ Moore does not. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting? Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. He's not a must-start. You still have to own him. You're not going to drop him. But he's not a must-start. He had four catches, 49 yards on six targets in this game. Robbie Anderson, 11 targets, eight catches, 99 yards. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, he has had double-digit targets or pretty close to it every single week so far this season. He is loving this offensive system. He's loving Teddy Bridgewater. He's the guy to own. DJ Moore, because he doesn't give you anything as far as red zone targets are concerned, and because he's not getting head and shoulders the volume that he was a season ago, he loses all of his, not all of, but he loses a lot of his value because a lot of his value was based on his volume, was based on his floor because he was never a touchdown guy. 
if he's not going to have that floor, well, this becomes a matchup-dependent hit-or-miss guy that you can only play him when you believe that the Carolina Panthers are going to be in shootout opportunities. That's it. Robbie Anderson's a must-play. Mike Davis has another really good game. 16 carries, 84 yards, has a rushing touchdown, 5 catches, 27 yards. He is an RB2 until Christian McCaffrey comes back. I think the interesting note was that Reggie Bonifant actually got 10 carries in this game. Not something I'm really worried about, but let's say if something happened to Mike Davis between now and when Christian McCaffrey came back, it does seem that Reggie Bonifant would then be the guy who would take over in that instance. So just something to kind of keep in mind there, but you're not going to be picking him up. So we're going to move on. The Saints, the Lions, the game that pretty much gave all of us a heart attack (laughs) at one point. Drew Brees was solid. 246 yards, two touchdowns, interception. They still did not have Michael Thomas in this game. He may be back next week. We still have to watch the waiver report. I will say this. It will be a little bit closer to the high ankle sprain. I still think he should miss one more week. I still think the idea should be for him to come back week six, week seven, and he'll be fully healthy then. So you just got to hang tight if you're the Michael Thomas owner, I believe. But in the meantime... Emmanuel Sanders, six catches, 93 yards, nine targets. Ever since that disappointing Week 2 game, which was the game against the Raiders, the first game without Michael Thomas, and everybody was like, whoa, clearly Emmanuel Sanders isn't the same guy. He's gotten more involved, more chemistry, and better production, more volume since then. Week 3, you know, four catches, 54 yards, and a touchdown, had a few more targets. This game by far was the most targeted wide receiver with nine targets, six catches, 93 yards. Trey Consmith obviously was still very good because he still had four catches, 54 yards, and he had two touchdowns, all of that on four targets. That's the kind of stat line you can have when you're playing the Detroit Lions. Not something I'm going to depend on. I don't like the four targets. Especially as Emmanuel Sanders gets to play more and more and has gotten more chemistry. So Sanders is somebody who's come back to being rosterable. And if Michael Thomas misses again week five, somebody you could play as a low-end wide receiver three in your flex who you know is going to get seven to nine targets in the matchup and probably have a decent floor to base off of that. Still not a lot of upside, but a guy that you can play if you're stuck in a pinch. The big thing, of course, was the running game. Alvin Kamara was Alvin Kamara. 19 carries, 83 yards, a touchdown, three catches for 36 yards. He goes over 100 yards from scrimmage again with a touchdown. Of course, the big story, Latavius Murray, 14 carries, which has been about the norm through the first four weeks of the season. 64 yards, which has also been about the norm through the first four weeks of the season. But this week, he goes in the end zone twice. Before you start pinning Latavius Murray into flex territory moving forward, he's still more of a very, very high-end handcuff then he is a flex play. Because keep in mind the games previously. While the volume has been pretty solid, because he has gotten double-digit carries in three out of the four games, he hasn't gone over 100 yards. And this is the first week he got to the touchdowns. This is the first week he got in the end zone. This is the first week that he wasn't automatically taken out in the red zone situation for Alvin Kamara. In fact, one of the touchdowns he had, they were both on the field at the same time. So he's a touchdown-dependent flex, which leads me more to believe he's more of a high-end handcuff than he is an actual guy that you want to play in your flex. Only if you're in desperation mode are you going to want to start Latavius Murray. 
So kind of keep that in mind. But he's, you know, you can't, you can't drop him. You never could. If you go to the Lions side of the ball, Matthew Stafford, he had three touchdowns in this game, so he winds up having a decent fantasy day. But 206 yards against a secondary that was very banged up and should have been should have been vulnerable. Should have been something you could take advantage of. Matthew Stafford, just plain and simple, he doesn't look like the same quarterback from last year. And we've we've kind of gone through this with Stafford. He's been a guy who's been a little bit hit or miss. He's been a guy who's been a little bit streaky. Now, because of that, he could get hot at any moment in time throughout this season. And I'm not just talking about him for fantasy purposes as a streaming quarterback in his own right, but also making sure Kenny Galladay stays a guy who can be a high-end wide receiver too, maybe get his way back into wide receiver one territory as he continues to work his way back technically in the game shape because this was only his second game. Four catches, 64 yards, and a touchdown. Second week in a row, he's got a touchdown. He just, you know, right now you have to play him as a very consistent wide receiver two who can score in any given week. I do believe the wide receiver one value, which is what I believe Kenny Galladay to be at the end of the day, a lower end wide receiver one, but a wide receiver one nonetheless, I do believe those days will come. Because remember, he's still getting back in the game shape. He hadn't been able to practice very much. The guy that we can go ahead and just hit the send you down the flush town drop on. Prepare to be flushed. Marvin Jones, bye bye. There's no reason to own Marvin Jones right now. One catch, nine yards, two targets in this game. He hasn't been very good. He's only scored one touchdown. It kind of looks as though the cliff came a bit sooner than what we expected with Marvin Jones. Now, does he turn it around? Maybe. I think there is a I think there is room for improvement. I think there is a chance that this Detroit Lions passing attack will look better in a few weeks than what it does right now. I do think Marvin Jones is in a better situation when he gets to be the second wide receiver to Kenny Galladay rather than being the focus point guy. But I don't know how you play him with any confidence and being that he's not a guy who has considerable value or you know for sure that he's definitely going to get involved later on, he is somebody who is completely droppable and that's why we welcome him to Flushtown. You don't have to own Marvin Jones right now. You just don't. It's unfortunate, but you don't because he's somebody who has been a very good fantasy wide receiver more times than not. As far as the running game goes, this is still Adrian Peterson's backfield. He falls into the end zone in this game, so he saves your fantasy day if you had to play him. And you know what? He's somebody that you can you can just play him as an RB3. You can play him as a fill-in for injuries and for bye weeks right now because it's his backfield as far as the carries are concerned. He's going to get goal line work. DeAndre Swift continues to be involved in the passing game to some degree. Four catches, 30 yards. He happens to get a receiving touchdown in this game. He's somebody who can continue to be rostered, but not somebody you can play. And again, kind of like the J.K. Dobbins situation, if you can roster him because you're holding on to him for the future and you have the ability to do so right now, then okay. But if you need to make a move, he doesn't have to be owned. So that's the big difference there when it comes to DeAndre Swift. T.J. Hawkinson, only two catches for nine yards, winds up in the end zone. He has been a touchdown threat more times than not, and that will continue to make him in the tight end streaming territory moving forward. 
So let's talk about the Bengals and let's talk about the Jaguars. And let's talk about the Bengals first because, I, like I said, this is the player, this is the team that I want to talk about to use as an example for the Kenyan Drake owners out there. Joe Mixon finally has his big game. 25 carries, 151 yards, two touchdowns. That's just on the ground. Six catches, 30 yards, and a touchdown on six targets in the receiving game. We had talked about this the whole time. I said, do not sell Joe Mixon because he's still getting the volume. Is it annoying how much Giovanni Bernard had been playing? Yes. It was even a little bit annoying how much Giovanni Bernard got to play in this game, quite frankly. But he was still getting the volume. It wasn't like he was never involved in the passing game. The bigger days were going to come, especially when you get to play against teams that don't actually have good defensive fronts. Their offensive line looked competent in this game. Now, I don't think their offensive line turned a corner, so don't don't get crazy. But what I will say is this. Joe Mixon, as long as he continues to get the volume, is a guy who can still be an RB2. This, this game does not make him RB1. He still has to do it on a more consistent basis. But if they ever get a competent offensive line, if this, if this offensive line could ever gel to the point at some point this season where they're consistently just competent, not good, not great, just competent, sky is the limit for Joe Mixon and Joe Burrow in this offense from a fantasy standpoint. Because you saw what happened in this game. The Jacksonville Jaguars, their defensive front is pathetic right now. So it made their offensive line look competent. And within that, Joe Mixon went bananas. Joe Burrow had a great game. So it just shows you what might be in store for the future if this offensive line can get it together against better teams. But that remains to be seen. That's why Joe Mixon's still going to be more of a high-end RB2 than getting back into the RB1 category moving forward, even though he's going to be the number one running back on the week for this week. So that, that's the good news there. You got your big return on Joe Mixon. You can sleep a little bit easier at night. Do not sell him off. We talked about Joe Burrow, 300 yards, had a touchdown in this game, threw the ball 36 yards. He is a locked-in, top-end streaming quarterback, and he's going to be hovering around that top 12 week in and week out for the most part. Tyler Boyd continues to be a very consistent, high-floor wide receiver, too. Seven catches, 90 yards on eight targets in this game. What do you do with A.J. Green, who had one catch for three yards on five targets? What do you do? I'm at a little bit of loss for myself. Here's what, I'll, here's what I'll say. Here's what I came away with thinking about this. So this was the second week in a row that T. Higgins did play ahead of A.J. Green as far as routes run and as far as snaps go. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Green got a little bit banged up in this game, but it wasn't. It, he didn't really miss much time, and he came back and finished the game. And they said it was a very minor injury to begin with. So that's not really something that was uh, taken into consideration here. T. Higgins, by the way, four catches, 77 yards on seven targets, was the second most targeted wide receiver. Since week two, A.J. Green has played less and been targeted less by Joe Burrow. Now, last week, I chalked that up to 
he was matched up on Darius Slade the entire time he was out there. So I didn't really expect him to have a big game. This week, however, matched up against a rookie corner against the Jacksonville Jaguars in a game in which the Bengals actually won and looked good against. A.J. Green was the only one who did not. I don't think that we can hit the welcome to Flushtown sounder and flush him down drop on him because I don't think he is 100% definitely unequivocally droppable. He is a droppable player, and that's the, that's the difference. He's not a must drop. He's a droppable player at this point. You don't have to own A.J. Green right now. But I'm not definitely flushing him down. And the reason for that is he still had five targets. This was still the lowest targeted game that he's had so far through the first four weeks of the season. He's still working off some rust. This is still an offense that's going to be flowing through Joe Burrow, flowing through the passing game. An offense that's still going to have a lot of opportunities where they're going to have to score because the defense is bad. A lot of opportunities for garbage time because they're going to be trailing in more games than not heading into the fourth quarter. I still think there's a chance that A.J. Green is going to be fantasy relevant. So if I if I feel like I have a guy who has a pathway to be fantasy relevant, at least, throughout the season, I don't necessarily want to drop him if I can at all avoid it. If you can't avoid it, though, you can. Because officially, right now, you'd feel better about starting T. Higgins moving into next week than you would A.J. Green. And you're not going to start A.J. Green until he shows you that he can still do it. That's where we're at at this point. So that's my takeaway on him. He's not. We're not dropping the sounder on him. We're not flushing him down just yet. But if you need to make a move, you don't feel like you have anybody else to drop, he's not a must-own at the moment. Because T. Higgins right now is going to be a must-add. He's been on the waiver report for the last couple of weeks, but he hasn't moved that much. He's going to be a must-add after this game. This will be the second week in a row he played ahead of him. He's looked good. And I think better fantasy days are ahead for T. Higgins, as long as this continues. And you're going to feel better about starting him than A.J. Green right now. So that's the situation. That's the take on it moving forward. On the Jaguar side of the ball, look, James Robinson didn't find the end zone, but he got over 100 yards from scrimmage, 17 carries, 75 yards, four catches, 32 yards. You weren't disappointed by his performance. Gardner Minshew, while from an NFL standpoint, didn't look great. He did still go over 350 yards. He still threw for two touchdowns in this game. So that's the good news there. The doubly good news, the good news that I think everybody's been wanting to hear And why I told you do not sell on him, why I told you it was proof last Thursday or two Thursdays ago now that they need this player in order to make their offense work, in order to make their offense click, and that's DJ Chark. Eight catches for 95 yards, two touchdowns on nine targets. He finally got the targets. He led the way. He finally got the touchdowns. Eight catches, 95. He finally looked like the wide receiver one, at least for Jacksonville, that we all thought he would be. He looked like the wide receiver two with upside that we all hoped he would be for fantasy football purposes. I told you better days were ahead. Now, the window on buying low on DJ Chark has now officially flown out the window after this game. But if you had DJ Chark, if you were able to acquire DJ Chark, this is more of the type of performances that you can kind of expect moving forward. He's a must-start for you. And I'm just glad to see it happen for a player that we all had high hopes for coming into this season to begin with. Keelan Cole, not that a lot of people own him. So it was, he wasn't over 50%, so I can't hit the flush 
button on him. Uh, but there's no reason to own Keelan Cole. He's just a guy. LaVisca Chenault was pretty involved. Five catches, 86 yards on six targets in this game. Until he establishes more consistency on a week-to-week basis, I don't think he's a guy that you must own, and he's definitely not a guy that you need to be playing in your lineups. But he is somebody who's on the cusp of getting to that territory. So he's somebody that I want to keep my eyes on, but I'm not going out of my way to make sure I acquire him just yet on my roster, especially given we have coming up on bye weeks. And with all the crazy things going on with COVID right now, you see how much you need depth that you can really rely on at the moment. So it's something to kind of just keep in mind. So we move on. Well, actually, before we move on, we're going to take a quick break because then we're going to wrap up the last four games we have to talk about in this show on the other side. So stay tuned for us. Stay with us right after this. It's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And we are back. As always, I'm your host, Dan Mater. We are the MD's Fantasy Football Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, WWSR. And you can always check out their app on Android. Worldwide Sports Radio Network, or iOS, WWSRN. We are also presented to you by Belly Up Sports, and you can find us on your favorite streaming app. Just look up Belly Up Sports' MD's Fantasy Football Show at all times. So we're moving on here. We're talking about the Sunday recaps, Sunday afternoon recaps, excuse me, because the Sunday night game will be in tomorrow's show. And we're going to wrap it up here with the last four games, starting off with the Minnesota Vikings and the Houston Texans. Now, there's a lot of things to take out of this game. And this was, a, this was a prime example of a game that has very different fantasy implications moving forward than it necessarily did for NFL purposes moving forward, let's say. Because statistically, Deshaun Watson played great. 20 of 33, 300 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions in this game. Didn't do much on the ground, but still gave you a very solid passing day. But from an NFL standpoint, especially in the first half, did not play well. Didn't look good. Looked like how he did the first three weeks which were all, you know, propping up to being that he was playing against much tougher defenses. Well, Minnesota's not a good defense right now. So we're like, well, what's the problem? Turns it around in the second half, makes it more of a game, looked much better, looked much more comfortable, got his receivers involved, well, at least one of them. That one being Will Fuller, who had six catches for 108 yards and a touchdown on seven targets. You continue to play Will Fuller as a high-end wide receiver three, low-end wide receiver two with tremendous upside. But he played better in the second half, and maybe it'll be a turning point moving forward. And the point that I made on this for people and why Deshaun Watson was a buy-low target for me heading into this week is that this week starts, not just this week, but this week starts the kickoff of the Houston Texans playing much better opponents for fantasy football purposes. Really, from here on out for the rest of the season. They got the hard part of their schedule out of the way. So you're going to feel good about the matchups that you're playing Deshaun Watson in moving forward. You're going to feel good about the matchups that Will Fuller is healthy for moving forward. David Johnson, 16 carries, 63 yards. Two catches, 29 yards. Not great. Not necessarily what you were hoping for against Minnesota, but again, another running back who is still getting the volume that you want to see. He's still going to be an RB2. Is he the same David Johnson from two years ago? No, absolutely not. But he's not the David Johnson that we saw last year either. The one I thought we were going to see. 
He's been able to handle volume. There's still been no word about him getting banged up. As long as those two things remain true, he will continue to be an RB2 in your lineups, and you can expect better days ahead. You can expect him to get in the end zone moving forward. Duke Johnson was back in this game, and he wasn't that much of a factor. Five carries, 24 yards. So you don't have to worry about Duke Johnson coming in and stealing all this work from David Johnson. He's still the main guy. He's still the main guy. Plain and simple. What we do need to talk about, what we do need to figure out, is Brandon Cooks. And unfortunately, I'm going to have to do this to Brandon Cooks. Prepare to be flushed. He was someone I was very excited about joining the Houston Texans. He was somebody I thought without DeAndre Hopkins and Will Fuller, given his injury history, given what he does best on the field, given what Brandon Cooks does best on the field, in this high-volume passing offense, that Brandon Cooks was going to be somebody who was going to surprise people and was going to be a wide receiver two more times than not. Well, other than the five-catch, 95-yard performance against the Baltimore Ravens back in Week 2, which was surprising to some degree, he's basically been non-existent in this offense. Now, I say you can flush Brandon Cooks, but there is a caveat that comes with him, and that is this. When Will Fuller gets hurt, not if, but when, because we know it's going to happen. He's already been kind of on and off the injury report with a hamstring issue already. Brandon Cooks will be the lead targeted guy. We know this because of that Ravens game where he had five catches for 95 yards. And the big reason why, because Will Fuller was in and out of the lineup dealing with a hamstring issue. And he wound up with zero catches on zero targets for that game. And Brandon Cooks was the guy. So we know that once something happens to Will Fuller, this will be Brandon Cooks as the wide receiver one for this team. So that's why I have a caveat with Brandon. You can drop him because he's basically been non-existent. You can drop him because you're not going to start him right now. And after goosing you in a matchup against the Minnesota Vikings, if you can't trust to play him against Minnesota, who are you going to trust to play him against? So that's why he does qualify for the flush drop. That's why he does qualify for somebody who can definitely be dropped on your team. But he does come with a caveat. He's still a very good player. I haven't seen anything to indicate to me that he's not the same player that he was from a physical standpoint. So he's going to have better days ahead. But right now, you ain't going to play him until it's consistent. Because he's in a situation, unlike A.J. Green, let's say, who I didn't hit the flush drop on, A.J. Green has one big game. You can look at that as a turnaround performance for A.J. Green and for Joe Burrow, I believe, moving forward in the offense because Burrow has shown early in the season that he wants A.J. Green to be involved in this offense. Brandon Cooks hasn't been showing that type of love from Deshaun Watson just yet. There's still The rapport still clearly needs to be built. Brandon Cooks still needs to get involved in this offense when Will Fuller is also on the field. That's the difference. It's going to take more than one big performance from Brandon Cooks to feel like you can really play him. Unless Will Fuller is hurt. So there's a caveat for Brandon Cooks, but he is a guy that you can definitely drop right now. Jordan Atkins went down in this game. We're going to have to see exactly what his prognosis is going to be, but it may be for a few weeks for him as well. Just kind of FYI, somebody who's been on the streaming category for tight ends so far. So we move on here. We want to talk about the Minnesota Vikings. Kirk Cousins, who was a streaming quarterback option heading into this particular matchup. He had an okay game. 260 yards, only one passing touchdown. Didn't have any interceptions. 
He didn't give you quite the streaming performance that you were probably hoping for in this game. But Dalvin Cook did. 27 carries, 130 yards, two touchdowns in this matchup. Could you ask for more? I don't think you could. And you know it's going to be a great game. Dalvin Cook continues to be an RB1. It's 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 Zeke Kamara and Cook. Maybe not even necessarily in that order, but those are the top three running backs right now to own. Those are your top three guys. Outside of Dalvin Cook, we go to the receiving group. Both Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson went over 100 yards in this game. Jefferson, four catches, 103 yards on five targets. Meanwhile, Adam Thielen, eight catches for 114 yards and a touchdown on 10 targets. But it showed you that last week was not a fluke performance. Justin Jefferson is here to stay. He is here to be involved in this offense as the second wide receiver to Adam Thielen. He is the Stephon Diggs of this offense now. Plain and simple. And this game shows you that in the right matchup, they can both have very good weeks. And I think this is something that's going to continue. He's going to have 100 yards every game? No. But as far as his volume goes... This is something that's going to continue. He is going to be a guy that you can go to as a wide receiver three with some upside in certain matchups. He can be in your starting lineups moving forward. He's done it now two weeks in a row. He's here to stay. So that's the big thing that you take away from the Minnesota Vikings side of the ball. Nothing really much else we need to talk about in that particular game. So we move on to the Giants. We move on to the Rams. Every week, there is at least one game that just quite frankly, doesn't make a whole lot of sense. It doesn't. And this game, that that was this game. It was this game against the Giants and the Rams. It just didn't make a whole lot of sense. The Rams didn't dominate the way you expected them to. Jared Goff wasn't the streaming quarterback that you wanted him to be, that I wanted him to be. Daryl Henderson, we're going to save that. We're going to get to that in a second because that's a whole other thing we got to get into with the running back situation right now for the Rams. They just didn't go off. Robert Woods didn't have a good game. It was a game that just made no sense. The Giants, who had gotten completely dominated by the B squad of the 49ers, played a much more competitive game against a healthy squad, against a good Rams team that had been moving the ball quite well against everybody else. They go up against the worst defense they have faced so far to this season, and they have one of their worst offensive outputs so far this season. It just didn't make any sense on a lot of levels. A lot of levels. So we'll start with the Rams side of the ball. We talk about Jared Goff. He had 200 carries, or 200 carries, 200 yards for and one touchdown. Better days are ahead for Jared Goff. He has looked good to me so far this season. He has looked more confident in this offense. He's looked like he's clicked back. So Jared Goff is still somebody to me who's going to be a high-end streamer, especially in certain matchups, more times than not. And I'm not overly concerned about it moving forward. Was this disappointing? Yeah, 100%, absolutely. But it, you can chalk it up as just being... One of those games that just didn't go the way you expected it to go. Plain and simple. And it's going to happen from time to time. As far as, you know, Cooper Cup and Robert Woods, they both had seven targets apiece. Robert Woods was actually kind of leading the day. It just so happened that Cooper Cup wound up with a 55-yard touchdown to seal this game in the fourth quarter. That was really the only difference. So he finishes with 69 yards and a touchdown while Robert Woods had six catches for 35 yards and he just didn't score and didn't have that nice jet sweep that he normally has. 
obviously better days are ahead. So you're not worried about the wide receiver position. Tyler Higby, three catches, 21 yards, four targets. He is a touchdown-dependent streaming tight end option like so many others are in this league. But he's still worth rostering. He's still worth playing more times than not. I'm not dropping Tyler Higby for another streaming, t- another streaming tight end in the same territory of value that he is. Let's put it that way. He's within that category of the top 10 to 16 guys on any given week. It's just going to be a matter of whether it's his week to score or not. What we have to talk about on the Rams side of the ball, we have to talk about the running game. Darren Henderson was the biggest disappointment of this game 100% without a doubt. The biggest disappointment. He came off two weeks in a row where he led the team in carries by a lot. Not a little. It wasn't close. It was Darrell Henderson's backfield. That's who it was. He had 20 carries last week. goes over 100 yards. You're expecting a great matchup against the New York Giants. And what happens? There's no Cam Akers. What happens? Malcolm Brown outcarries him. Malcolm Brown outperforms him. Now, it wasn't a great game by Malcolm Brown. It was nine carries for 37 yards, in case you didn't see the game, but Daryl Henderson only goes for eight carries for 22 yards. Only one catch for 16 yards. Malcolm Brown had five catches for 19 yards on six six targets. So again, it wasn't a good game, but volume-wise, it was Malcolm Brown. After it looked like he was dead in the water, after it looked like Daryl Henderson had just outperformed to the point where he shouldn't be that much of a factor, it just didn't wind up happening that way. What happens when Cam Akers comes back next week? Well, guess what? We're just back in the territory of, I don't want to actually have to play a Rams running back. That's where we're back to. We were con- we were feeling pretty good about this matchup. Two weeks in a row of Daryl Henderson. Sean McVay even came out and said... For the first time this season, by the way, who the starting running back was going to be, he said it was going to be Henderson, and yet it still wound up being Malcolm Brown was the guy. He still went with the hot hand approach. No Rams running back is going to be safe to play any given week. Does Daryl Henderson need to be owned? Yes. Does Cam Akers need to be owned? Yes. Does Malcolm Brown need to be owned? Eh. Maybe, maybe not. Depends on what you have. He can be rostered, but he doesn't have to be. But do you have to play any of them? No. That's the issue right now. We're back to, I don't want to have to play a Rams running back until it's clear cut. And even when it seems like it's clear cut, it may not be. Sean McVay is just, no matter what the situation is, staying true to the hot hand approach. Plain and simple. And Daryl Henderson didn't have the hot hand in this game. Even though he should have. Then you move on to the Giants side of the ball and this abysmalness that you call a fantasy roster, I guess. Daniel Jones is awful. He's terrible. He is every bit of the quarterback that I thought he was when David Gettleman drafted him way too high in the first round to begin with. He's faced some tough defenses, yes. Their schedule has not been kind to them. I will definitely give him that. But man, does he look bad. 23 of 36, 190 yards, no touchdowns, and interception. The only thing about Daniel Jones that has looked decent is he's just like, yeah, the heck with it. I'm going to use my legs because I can't throw the ball. 45 yards on the ground. Jason Garrett is every bit of the offensive play caller that I expected him to be. And look, this isn't just because Saquon Barkley's gone. Go back to those first two weeks. 
it didn't look pretty under Saquon Barkley with Saquon Barkley on the field either, did it? Barkley owners, what did he do for you the first two weeks? Not a whole lot, did he? This is a real problem for the Giants. There's only two players that I'm looking at from a fantasy perspective right now. That's Darius Slayton, that's Evan Ingram. And that's just due to volume. They still haven't had great games in their own right, but Slayton at least has seven targets, three catches, 48 yards. Evan Ingram, six catches, 35 yards on 10 targets. The volume's there. Golden Tate, I guess technically the volume's there for him too. But the difference with Golden Tate is the fact that he's done. Golden Tate's done. Golden Tate needs to hang it up after this year. He doesn't have it anymore. He's not getting separation. He can't make plays after the catch. He had four catches for 20 yards in this game on six targets. Golden Tate's done. When Sterling Shepard inevitably comes back, they need to step aside and let him take over for Golden Tate, and Golden Tate needs to go back to being a bench player, a spell player. That's what needs to happen. Plain and simple. Plain and simple. I still have interest in rostering Darius Slayton. I still think there are some big games for him in store ahead. Evan Ingram, still not a great game. But from a volume standpoint, is still going to be a guy who falls back again to that 10 to 16, maybe tight end 18 territory. He falls into that streaming lot of guys. He's not a tight end one, necessarily. He's not a guy you have to own. He's not a guy you have to play. He's in the streaming category, though, because the volume is there. And eventually the Giants will have to score a touchdown again at some point. When that will be, I don't know. But it will have to happen again at some point. Just laws of physics. Devonta Freeman did lead the way as far as carries go, but 11 for 33. Wayne Gallman was actually more efficient on the day. Six carries for 45 yards. This backfield really hasn't changed for me. Freeman is rosterable because he is the lead carrier. But you're not going to feel great about playing him because they don't have a great schedule for running backs anytime soon. There's no reason to own Wayne Gallman or Deion Lewis. So that, that part has not changed for me really at all. So we move on. We move on to the Bills. We move on to the Raiders. And in this situation, Josh Allen got a little bit banged up in this game. Did come back. Did finish it. Should be okay moving forward at least. One of his most subdued games but still had a good fantasy day. 288 yards, two touchdowns. He ran in a touchdown on this one. So even a game in which he got a little bit banged up and didn't go off, didn't go you know 40 points plus for fantasy football purposes, he still just shows you that high floor. And I have to eat it on Josh Allen. I do. I was not a believer. I did not believe he could turn around and become an efficient passer. And there were still even moments in this game where he just has these mental lapses for no reason. But overall... Josh Allen has shown through the first quarter of the season that he's taken the next step as a passer. Stephon Diggs has given him a go-to target, who he is definitely on the same page with. There's no doubt about that. And he's going to continue to be a top-five quarterback in fantasy football moving forward, no question. Stephon Diggs, six catches, 115 yards, seven targets. He's one of the most consistent wide receiver ones that you can have. Yeah, a wide receiver one that you can have out there. He's just getting crazy volume every single week. He is the head guy. And like I said, he has great chemistry with Josh Allen. So you just love what Stephon Diggs is going to continue to do moving forward. John Brown was able to play in this game. 
four catches, 42 yards. He's a wide receiver four who has upside depending on the matchup. And I don't think most people were going to play him this game because he was very questionable heading into it. You knew he was going to be 100%. So I don't know if you were somebody who took the chance on John Brown. I don't know why you would have. But he's going to have high upside games moving forward. So don't worry about that aspect of it. Cole Beasley did get the touchdown. But as long as John Brown is out there playing, I don't think I'm ever going to feel comfortable playing Cole Beasley as a pickup and play in my lineup. The surprise was Zach Moss. Now, Zach Moss heading into Sunday was expected to be active, and he suddenly was inactive heading into the game, which opened up all these touches that we weren't expecting for Devin Singletary. He had 18 carries, 55 yards, only three yards carried. Not great, but he does get the rushing touchdown. He shows again that he can be competent in the passing game, five catches, 21 yards on six targets. Because Zach Moss was close to returning this week, we would expect him to be back next week. But it goes to show you that if Devin Singletary does get this backfield to himself, when Zach Moss is out, he's very much an RB3 flex play, maybe even close to the low-end RB2 territory, more in the high-end RB3 area. But he is a flex guy that you can play if Zach Moss is not going to be out there. He'll get it When you consolidate the volume, he'll be able to do enough. On the Raiders' side of the ball, so this is the third week, I guess, that Derek Carr has had a pretty good fantasy matchup, and he's going he's gonna to start putting himself into the streaming category. Look, he didn't have Henry Ruggs. He didn't have Barry and Edwards. He didn't have no deep field threat whatsoever. He still walks away in this game for 311 yards and two touchdowns. Now, I say that knowing that the second you try to trust Derek Carr in fantasy football, that's when he turns around and burns you. But he's going to be in that category of streaming quarterbacks moving forward just because of what he's been able to do for the past three weeks. He's played very cleanly. And he's putting up decent numbers. Darren Waller, 9 catches, 88 yards on 12 targets. You knew it was going to be a high-volume game for Darren Waller. You knew he was going to have a high floor for you. It wasn't a great matchup against a decent Bills defense. Had he scored, he probably would be in the top 5 tight ends. Instead, he's going to be in the top 10. So you're not going to be upset about that. Hunter Renfro, again, another guy you're expecting big volume from. 5 catches, 57 yards, 8 targets. Hunter Renfro, though... Only in situations like this, when there's no Henry Ruggs, there's no Brian Edwards, you know he's going to have to get targeted a lot. Only in situations like this is he somebody who can be a PPR-only flex option for you. Because he just he's not a touchdown threat. He's not a big play threat. He's going to have to get the volume in order to give you some kind of fantasy return. And that's just something you have to know going into it with Hunter Renfro. Josh Jacobs, he was held in check in this game. 15 carries, 48 yards. It was clear from the get-go and rightfully so, that the Bills' game plan for the Raiders, especially with no Henry Ruggs, no Bryant Edwards, was going to be they're going to bottle up Josh Jacobs. If Derek Carr and Darren Waller and Hunter Renfro were going to beat him in the passing game, so be it. They wanted to load up everybody in the box. Their goal was to stop Josh Jacobs, and they corralled him because of that. Remember, the Raiders' offensive line going into this game was very banged up too. Don't worry. Better days are ahead for Josh Jacobs. There's no reason to panic. He will provide you low-end RB1 numbers more times than not. So our last game that we're going to talk about for this show is the Colts and the Bears. A game that, frankly, was kind of torturous watching the quarterback play back and forth. It really was. Watching Phillip Rivers and Nick Foles was just flat-out torturous at times. Rivers is done. And Nick Foles is a bum. But Rivers goes for 16 for 29, 190 yards, a touchdown. He still can't hit the broad side of the barn. He still can't find T.Y. Hilton, who we hit the flush button on. We hit the flush drop on last week. 
and he did nothing this week to rebound from that. Three catches, 29 yards. He's just done. Mo Alley-Cox finds the end zone again. Thank goodness, because we had him as a streaming tight end. It was looking brutal, because outside of that, he only had one catch for 13 yards on two targets. Trey Burton had five targets in this game, two catches, 16 yards. Jack Doyle, though, Jack Doyle is no longer a thing for fantasy football purposes. Because he's no longer a thing in the passing game for the Colts, apparently. One target, one catch, 12 yards in this game. I don't know what the obsession is with Trey Burton. I know because he's been in the offense before with Frank Reich. I don't know if that's just that's all he's needed. Mo Ali Cox is somebody who had established himself the last two weeks. Mo Ali Cox is the guy who needs to be the lead tight end, especially when it comes to routes run and pass catching for this Colts team moving forward. Not Trey Burton. And we know not Jack Doyle. Jack Doyle, just, at this point, is probably just going to be out there to block more times than not. I know it was his first game for the Colts. He was just back off of injury. I don't know if that has something to do with it, but I would just be severely disappointed if suddenly, from a volume standpoint, Mo Ali Cox was playing second fiddle to Trey Burton. It would be very disappointing. So we're going to have to wait and see. I don't think you can stream Ali Cox next week because it's something you're going to have to let play out over another week or so to kind of get a better idea. Was that a one-time deal, or is it something that's going to be moving forward? Something to keep your eye on, but I don't think you can play him next week, and you're definitely not playing Trey Burton. Jonathan Taylor was a little disappointing in this game, especially after seeing Brian Hill and Todd Gurley have the games that they did against Chicago last week. 17 carries, 68 yards. For some reason, Jordan Wilkins is involved. This is my other question to Frank Reich. Along with, like, why can't you just stick with Mo Alley-Cox, I also want to ask him this question. Did you come in with the game plan this season that you were definitely going to use three running backs because you had Marlon Mack and Taylor and Hines at the time? And now that you lost Mack, you decided, well, I already made this season-long plan that I was going to be a three-running-back carousel, so what we're going to do is we're going to stick with that, and we're going to give Jordan Wilkins involved for absolutely no reason whatsoever. Nine carries to 15 yards. He's never been efficient. He's never been good. I don't know why he continues to be out there as much as he is. It's, it's frustrating. It's maddening. Now, the silver lining for Jonathan Taylor owners is that even though he had nine carries, even though he played an annoying clip, Taylor still walked away with 17 carries. So I guess that's the silver lining. But you already know you're going to contend with Naeem Hines to some degree, who also had nine carries in this game, only 24 yards. But he did have three targets, three catches for eight yards. You know you're going to contend with him when it comes to the passing down work. You don't want to have to contend with Jordan Wilkins, too, when it comes to carries, when you should be getting 20 carries a game behind that offensive line. So there's just very annoying things when it comes to fantasy football about Frank Reich right now that we're going to have to watch moving forward. Jonathan Taylor, more times than not, I still believe, is in the low-end RB1 category with this offense. It was just kind of disappointing to see that Jordan Wilkins has to be involved for absolutely no reason. And it's something that, unfortunately, we are going to have to keep our eyes on moving forward when valuing Jonathan Taylor on a week-to-week basis. Not that you're going to take him out of your lineup, but you need to know what your players' value are in case trades come along. So we move on. There's no receivers to talk about for the Colts because Phillip Rivers is terrible. So we go to the Chicago side of the ball. And... Allen Robinson, he was probably the lone, he was probably the lone fantasy bright spot of this game for either team, frankly. Seven catches for 100 yards, picks up a passing or receiving touchdown, 10 targets in this game. The one thing I said about Nick Foles going into this week is that 
regardless of what you think of him as a quarterback, and I don't think he's a very good one, I do know he knows how to get his number one wide receiver the football. And I said that being that they made this switch from Trubisky to Nick Foles from a fantasy football standpoint, Allen Robinson's value got reestablished as a high-end wide receiver, too, for the rest of the season. And that remained true for this week. He saw a lot of volume. He caught the touchdown. He was given plenty of opportunities for 50-50 chances, which is something he's very good at bringing down. Where if it's Mitchell Trubisky, he's got to see his guy get open, otherwise he can't get on the ball. Or he won't even throw it to him at all. Allen Robinson's not going to have that problem with Nick Foles. So that's the good part of the fantasy analysis here. The bad part is David Montgomery. 10 carries, 27 yards. Only 2.7 yards a carry. Did get a little bit more involved in the passing game, which is something we talked about heading in now that Tariq Cohen is gone. Six targets, three catches, 30 yards. The good news there is that Cordell Patterson was not as involved in the passing game as I thought he might be. He only had two targets in this game, one catch, didn't even have any yardage off of that one catch. So the good news moving forward for David Montgomery will be there is going to be somewhat of a floor for him moving forward. Now, this game, you know, Chicago only had three points all the way up until the fourth quarter. They were trailing a lot of it. They had to throw the ball a lot. So you can understand why he might have had the poor rushing output. Better days are definitely ahead for David Montgomery. But it is frustrating to see games like this because you feel like he still can't be more than a high-end RB3, more than a high-end flex play, wherein he really should be due to the volume that he should be looking at and the situation that he's in and the caliber of draft pick that he was. He should be an RB2, but he isn't until he can establish himself on a production level on a consistent basis. You just you have to play him as a flex guy and take that into consideration when setting your lineups. But it was a silver line to see him be as involved in the passing game as he was, if that's going to help you moving forward. I told you not to stream Jimmy Graham. Four catches, 33 yards. That's why. Don't stream Jimmy Graham. There's, other, there's better options out there, guys, who are more liable to get touchdowns. It's not going to be... It's going to be a once-in-a-blue-moon type of thing when Jimmy Graham goes off like he did last week at this point in his career. That actually wraps it up for the show. I hope you guys all enjoyed it. We will be back tomorrow with the Sunday night, the two Monday night football recap games, and the waiver wire report. Remember, we'll be back on Thursday on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, WWSRN, from 12 to 1.30, and we're going to be previewing all of the Week 5 matchups. We're going to be flying through that game. Make sure you follow us on social media, at BellyUpMDFFShow. Keep us up to date. The player news update notifications. Make sure you have those alerts turned on. When it comes to Twitter, you can check us out on BellyUpFantasySports.com for our rankings. And always look for your favorite streaming app. Check out the Belly Up Sports' MD's Fantasy Football Show. I am your host, Dan Maynard. Everybody stay safe, stay healthy, and good luck on your Monday Night Miracles. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. 